Good morning, everybody. Thank you, Colleen. Love you. Thank you, Peck. Love you, too. My brother. My brother. Appreciate you, man. Um, so awesome to be with all of you this morning. So good, especially after a week away, to be back um, just worshiping. And seriously, like, I don't know. It felt like a very sweet time. Just felt like the Spirit, spirit was moving. Um, not because of our professionalism or talent, but just because He loves us and He's here with us. So, so good to be back with you. Um, I'm really excited that you are spending the first Sunday of the year with us. Uh, that's an honor and a privilege. And I'm also really glad that today I get to kick off um, our new series on prayer. It's going to be a five-week series called Lord, Teach Us to Pray. Lord, Teach Us to Pray. And prayer is something that's so simple and so fundamental, and yet it's one of the most profound and important and radical things that we do as Christians. And so this series is a reflection of our desire to build that muscle, grow that muscle of prayer in our church. And I'll just tell you that I'm, I'm excited about this one because I know that we're going to grow and I'm trusting that we're going to come into deeper and fuller relationship with the Lord through this series. But I'm also really excited because I believe, I, I believe that as God works in us through this series. He's setting up, he's establishing like a launch pad just to propel us forward, to propel us into our families and into our places of work and our schools, into the city and even into the nations. I believe that. And as we become a people that are more and more marked by prayer, there is just going to be personal transformation. There's going to be cultural revolution. It changes the atmosphere. And, and maybe you've heard this before, but do you know what always comes before revival? Prayer. Prayer, <laughs> prayer always precedes revival. And there's, there's no reason that there can't be revival in your life this year. There's no reason that there can't be revival in Chicago. There's no reason, really, that there can't be mass revival in the secular West. And all of the reasons that we put up in front of that, like it's never been done before, or it's too hard, or there are too many obstacles, all of those reasons just disappear in the face of a God who wants our prayers. And I really believe that. And there is no better place to start a series on prayer than in Luke 11, verses 1 to 4. Luke 11, 1 to 4. This is where Jesus gives us a model of prayer called the Lord's Prayer, or maybe you know it as the Our Father. And he, uh, he's teaching his disciples how to pray. And if we're going to learn prayer, and if we're going to learn to love prayer, um, we have to start with Jesus. We have to start with Jesus. So that's what we're going to do, Luke 11. And I just invite you to take a, a mental and spiritual and physical posture of receiving from the Lord, because he has something for you. All right, Luke 11, verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. This is God's word to you. 
And I want to start this whole five-week series and, and this message with a few stories, three true stories. It's going to take me a few minutes, but, but I, hope, I pray these will bless you. Um, a few, or, or just a little over a year ago, uh, we got a call that you never want to get. Um, my wife's sister was pregnant, and they discovered very early that the baby was not growing well, and the baby had spots on its heart, and it was really really terrifying feeling. Um, there was kind of this paralysis about what would happen next, very uncertain. And the doctors ran a bunch of tests and they found out that the spots were tumors and the prognosis was not good. Um, so we prayed and our families prayed and people from this church family rallied to pray for my sister and brother and their baby. And the doctors were, were real the whole time. They said, like, this is a very, very serious situation. This baby, if it lives, is very likely going to be born with serious mental and physical challenges. Um, but we prayed. And a few weeks later, there was uh, another appointment. And I was thinking, like, all right, I'm trusting for it. God, um, maybe, maybe things are going to be different now. And things were different, but in the wrong direction. Uh, the tumors had spread. They were bigger now. Um, yeah, really, really discouraging, really scary. But we kept praying because, because what else could we do? And um, we knew the reality of the situation. We knew what seemed inevitable. And we also knew God. And that's who we were praying to. And these were not just these kind of one-off prayers. These were like all the way desperate prayers of faith, just interceding, going into the throne room of God. A few weeks later, another appointment. And I was thinking, okay, like, are the, are this, are the tumors going to be on the lungs now? Are the tumors going to be too big for this baby to grow? And we get another call, and all of the tumors are gone. It, it really was a miracle. Like, it is a miracle. Um, Unbelievable, And my, my niece, Caroline, precious, healthy, sweet little girl, was born uh, just a year ago. Yeah, and, and those of us who witnessed that, I don't think we will ever be the same. Um, really, really shaped me seeing that. It didn't make sense then, it doesn't make sense now, apart from a God who wants our prayers. Second story. Um, my wife, Colleen, for years before we met, she was a, an actress, a musical theater actress in New York City. And the stress of that job and the brokenness of the theater industry and a lot of personal kind of anxiety, identity struggles had her in one of the darkest seasons of her life. But she was a Christian. And so in the middle of all of that intensity and that insecurity, she felt a very specific call from the Spirit to wake up early every day and go pray in the heart of New York City. And so she would go to Times Square every day and just wrestle with the Lord. And she was praying for, for her freedom and for identity. And she was also praying for her industry and for God to bring his kingdom more fully in the city of New York. And she, she told me to add this. She told me to say that this was not some romantic mountaintop monk all-star prayer session. Like this was really messy. And she says there were a lot of tears and there was hurt and there was anger, um, all of that. But she was praying and she was just coming in close with the father, just meeting with him. And uh, she needed him to do something. And he did. 
And kind of long story short, one of the outcomes of that season of prayer was that well into that journey, she met the top casting director from Chicago, and that woman invited her into the Chicago theater scene, and this massively shifted her career, like in an awesome way. Thank you, God. So cool. Um, But she says, even today, she says that that isn't really like the main thing that came out of that season of prayer. What she saw in those months of waking up early every day was emotional healing, deeper trust in the Lord. It expanded her faith in him. She says that scripture came alive in a new way. She spoke in tongues for the first time. And that season of prolonged, dedicated prayer really established her identity as a daughter of God. And so if you know Colleen today, if you know how awesome she is, just a legend, I'm so blessed uh, that she's my wife, um, then you have to trace a lot of that back to this season of prayer. And that's what that did for her. Just a beautiful, beautiful thing. All right, third story. 2015, 2016, I was living in the country of Lebanon. I was working with refugees from the Syrian war. And uh, I came back after a year, very quickly met Colleen, and she kind of introduced me to this church family. And between Anthem's influence on me and uh, Colleen, we were engaged then, uh, between their influence, I was really being stretched in the area of hearing from God. Hearing from God. And um, during our engagement, my job sent me back to Lebanon for a couple months, and Colleen prayed that it would be a time when I would really grow in prayer, when I would grow in hearing from God. And I thought all right, like that sounds good. Um, So I got on a plane, flew to Beirut, got to my hotel late. And even though I was really tired, I thought something in me, I felt I'm gonna go for a walk. And I also thought, um, God, here I am. If you really wanna speak to me like that, I want you to show me. It was kind of like prove it. And the Bible says, don't put God to the test. But I I confess to you that that is, is pretty much what I was doing. But the, the whole test was I went out on the street and every time I came to a corner, I prayed, God, do you want me to go right or left? And even as I say that, it sounds really childish, but that's what I was doing. And um, I went out and I, I don't know, like maybe I felt like the slightest inkling that I w- was supposed to go one way or the other. Uh, maybe I imagined it. I, I didn't know what was going on, but I, I felt something. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna go right, left, right. And yeah, I felt stupid. I felt stupid because this wasn't prayer in the way I was used to it. It did not feel easy to me. It didn't have that formality that I value and appreciate in prayer. Did not feel natural. But then I made a turn and walking toward me were the two American students that I had known from a year earlier. And honestly, I could not believe it. Beirut is a city of two million people. I had just arrived and God leads me directly to these two old friends. I hadn't told them I was coming. And um, I thought, wow, God, thank you. Like you, you led me here, so awesome. And I talked with my friends, caught up a little bit. We made some dinner plans. And about three seconds after they left, forgive me for this, I confess, like I thought that was probably coincidence. That was just a crazy coincidence. That's what I thought. And then I was gonna go back to my hotel, but I still felt that the Lord should lead me back to the hotel that I knew where it was. And uh, two blocks later, God was like, no, Griffin. And then I ran into one of the only other friends that I still had in the country. Like seriously, this is unbelievable. This was the equivalent of you leaving Chicago for a year, being dropped in the middle of the city and within about 10 minutes of you being where you are, like finding the three only people who could reconnect you with the city. I was immediately 
amazed and immediately like felt at home again and immediately in awe. But like with Colleen, it wasn't even really meeting those people that was like the coolest thing about that, as awesome as it was. It was that time in God's presence. It was him just being gentle and loving and patient with me. And the total amount of prayer that I just described was only about five minutes. And those five minutes really revolutionized uh, my ideas about speaking to and hearing from the Lord. Really revolutionized my ideas about prayer. So I tell those stories to encourage you, I, I hope, as we set up this series. But may, maybe there are some of you out here, you hear those three stories and you were like, yes, God, do it again. I'm inspired, I'm motivated. And there are probably some of you here who maybe are skeptical of those stories, but they did happen. And maybe there are some of you who are even a little bit angry about those stories because you, like me, we all have stories of prayer that don't come at the front end of a sermon like this. Stories of prayer that weren't answered in the way we hoped. But today I want to bring us back just to the basics of prayer. I want us to see that prayer is is a command and it's also just the natural overflow of gratitude and joy to the Lord. Prayer is powerful and beautiful and it's also mysterious and requires real heart work. And I've experienced those kind of ups and downs. I've experienced those ins and outs and I know I'm not the only one. But can I tell you, the Lord's heart is not to guilt you or push you or hurt you into more prayer. He wants to bless you and meet you and walk with you. God wants to give you intimacy and power and boldness in prayer. And that's where I want us to get to today. And to do that, we are going to go back to our teaching text, Luke 11, three things that we'll see that really transform our prayer lives. And those are the three things I just said. Prayer is intimate, prayer is power, and prayer is bold yet humble. Intimate, power, bold yet humble. And before we can get into those three things, just one piece of foundation that we have to lay. And that is the simple fact that prayer is also learned. Luke 11, verse one. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Lord, teach us. So many of us have heard sermons on prayer where we come away, and it probably wasn't intentional, but one of the main feelings we have is that prayer is really hard. And prayer is, a, nobody understands prayer and nobody's good at prayer. We feel that the only way to boost our prayer lives is we have to white knuckle it. We have to wake up earlier, pray for longer stretches, use more theological language when we pray. And I will just tell you, real quick, I will tell you, it is absolutely true that Jesus woke up early to pray. He just did. Jesus prayed for long stretches. He also prayed 20-second prayers, but he prayed for long stretches too, sometimes whole nights. Jesus fasted. He was in anguish in his prayer. That's all true. But I want to say to you that you cannot make anything happen in your prayer lives on your own. And the key to a radical prayer life is not you working harder at it. I think it's something more like the opposite. It's more like loosening up in prayer. It's coming to God with an open heart. 
Just being real, falling on God with your praise and your passions and your confessions and your hurts. Just bring what you have. Be real with God. Bring him your deepest needs. And with that, it is still something that we have to learn. And so for anybody who's immediately discouraged or maybe feels shame or apathy about five weeks on prayer, let me just start by encouraging you. Look at our text. Jesus' own disciples, like the 12, these guys had to learn to pray. And the person that maybe you can think of who you think has this passionate, amazing, they're always seeing miracles kind of prayer life, that person had to grow and practice in prayer. And also the idea that prayer has to be hard or that prayer has to be boring or that, prayer, or that nobody is good at prayer, just not true. Like, let's just put that lie out of our minds. There are people sitting here today that I know have awesome beautiful prayer lives. They love to pray and they regularly see prayer change things. They cannot wait to go deep with God and that can be you. Seriously, that can be you. So if you're coming into this and you're not feeling super pumped about a series on prayer, it's okay. Like the pressure's off. We can teach you, but only because Jesus has taught us and because Jesus is really doing the one teaching. Please God, don't let it be me. And because the Father is just so gracious in, in drawing us close to him. All right. That was a long intro to the whole series, but here we go. Like, we're getting into it now. Um, what is the first thing that Jesus teaches us about prayer? He teaches us that prayer is so intimate. Verse 2. He, Jesus, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father hallowed be your name. And I think the whole thing, I think our whole prayer lives actually hang on this point. Jesus tells us when we pray to pray to the God who is our father. If you've been a Christian for a long time, maybe that's kind of old news to you, but don't miss how radical this is. Jesus was the first person in the Bible to call God father. And that was one of the reasons that people wanted him dead. Even today, people of other religions or people who, who claim no religion, um, they might be offended at the language of Father because it personalizes God and also because of the relationship and the standing that it establishes for us. But this is the foundation of everything. God is creator, God is king, God is our master, but none of that is the way Jesus tells us to start our prayers. He tells us to start with Father because Father is about intimacy. It's about our deepest relationship with God. Intimate prayer means dialogue, presence, talking and listening. It means praying in relationship. In my experience, intimate prayer sounds like the person who's praying actually knows the person they're praying to. Isn't that a crazy thought? Like they, it sounds like they, oh, I'm talking to someone that I know. These people love to pray because they love God. And knowing God, knowing the Father takes time because it's a relationship and relationships take time. And maybe you were with a group of relatives or, or acquaintances at Christmas so you can more easily recall that it's way easier to talk to the family that we know well than to talk to, like, if we're gonna talk at length in meaningfully, it's way easier to talk to those people than that the distant cousin or somebody's new boyfriend. Like, we can, we can, we can all converse. We can all talk with people, but 
to be a good conversationalist, to be real and vulnerable, to listen well, to enjoy the conversation to the point that it just flows, that takes relationship with the person you're talking to. And it's the same with God. Praying with a father that we know well is way smoother and more enjoyable and just more full of faith than praying to a father that we only go to when we need something or a father that we only go to for a second before we eat. And actually, why would we expect to have powerful, enjoyable prayer lives if our relationship with God is mostly surface level? Like, why would we expect that? So I think one of the main questions underneath how do we have greater prayer lives is really just how do we have greater intimacy with God? And that is a whole series on prayer, and it's, or a whole series in itself, but intimacy means spending time together. It means being vulnerable, letting God in. It means actually listening, actually trusting. It means showing affection with God. It means coming to each other, not just in moments of need, but just to share time, just to share joy. And because prayer is intimacy, and because intimacy reflects the whole relationship, it goes way deeper than just the moments of actually talking and listening. What, maybe what your prayer life needs doesn't have anything to do with the act of prayer proper. What your prayer life really needs to be transformed might be healing in your relationship with the Lord. It might be past hurts that you need to work through. It might be unforgiveness in your life. Or maybe for many of us, it's just acknowledging and experiencing God as Father. That would revolutionize most of our prayer lives. And that's the picture that Jesus gives of prayer. It's the picture of intimate time between a loving father and a child. And I think about my own time with my kids. And I love that time, most of the time. I'm a fallen person, but I I love that time. And I love it when my son Finn wants to talk to me and spend time with me. And he's two years old, so he wants it all of the time. Like a hundred times a day, I'll just hear him be like, dad, 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 dad. And all the time. And in the middle of the night, two in the morning, I'll hear through the wall, Finn will just be like, Dad, dad, and I, I have no idea why he's thinking. I'm so glad he's thinking about me, but it's two in the morning and I usually don't want to get up. But seriously, part of me has to smile at that because he is thinking of me somehow. He wants me. He desires intimacy with me. And in those deep, loving relationships, intimacy leads to closeness and it leads to adoration. As much as I'm Finn's biggest cheerleader, I think he's my biggest cheerleader. He's always like cheering for me and laughing at my jokes and clapping at my stunts. And that is just like the smallest glimmer. Like it's a foolish example, but it's the smallest glimmer of the kind of adoration that we can pour out on our heavenly father. And that's the other piece of intimacy. Luke 11, right after Jesus tells us to call God father, he teaches us to say, hallowed be your name. Hallowed is a word that means acknowledging God's holiness, acknowledging his unmatchable majesty and just giving him supremacy in our lives. So this is a line Jesus teaches. He teaches us to pray with praise. So the Lord's prayer starts with reverent adoration and he tells us, Jesus tells us to start prayer with holding these two things together, even though they might seem a little bit paradoxical holding the deep intimacy of Father, that closeness, that right here-ness of it, and also the wholehearted acknowledgement that our Father is the all-powerful King of the universe and worthy of all of our praise. 
So think about your strongest and best and most intimate relationship. And I just ask like, what would it take to replicate something like that with the God of the universe? A God who like, it's already half done. He already, it's already totally done in him. He already loves you all the way. He already adores you. He already wants to spend the time with you. He wants the intimacy and that's what we get in prayer. And so to learn to pray like Jesus, the most important thing that we can do is build and receive intimacy with God. Second thing I wanna draw out is that praying to, with our Father is the source of your power and authority as a Christian. What do I mean by that? Little theology lesson. First of all, as believers, we are adopted into God's family. John 1 says that that happens through belief in Jesus, through the, his death and resurrection, through, through believing the gospel. That's how we're adopted. And as adopted children, God loves us with the same love that he loves Jesus. So think about, and it's hard, some of us don't believe this, but think about how he loves Jesus and honors Jesus and blesses Jesus. That is how he loves and honors and blesses you. And that relationship, it gives us the intimacy and it also gives us the same standing as Jesus, gives us power and authority. John 1.12 says, we have the legal right to be children of God and therefore the legal right to go to our father and ask him for things and receive from him. We do need to stop and say, because this is very important, we need to know that the power and authority is never for or from ourselves. It's always entirely dependent on God. And our power and authority, it only actually functions in accordance with God's will. So God doesn't give us this power to cut us loose and we go off and do our own thing. Even Jesus said he didn't speak on his own authority, but rather in the authority of the Father who he says lived in him and did the work. And yet, we need to know that it's from our standing as children of God that we have power. James 5.16, because we're children of God, our prayers are powerful and effective. James 4.7, because we're children of God, in submission to our Father, we have power to resist the devil and make him flee. We can send the devil running in the Father. 1 John 4 You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. He's talking about evil spirits. You have overcome evil spirits because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So awesome, so awesome. In Matthew 10, he, Jesus, he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. And we see the same thing in Mark 6. And not just for the 12, in Luke 10, 72 Jesus followers are sent out with authority by Jesus. And they come back saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Just think about that. Like, man, I could wake up a couple minutes earlier for that kind of power, for God to work in me like that. Oh, man. Because we're children of God, we have power and authority and it's made real through prayer. Jesus was praying. He was connecting with his father all the time before he started his public ministry, before and after his miracles. On the night before he knew he would be killed, the last night of his public ministry, Jesus was, he spent it praying. In every season of his life, 
He was marked by prayer. And it was from those times of connection with the Father that he was filled and refreshed in power to live that heavenly and miraculous life that he lived. And why would it be any different for us? John 14, Jesus says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. In, my, in Jesus' name is not just a tagline at the end of our prayers. Another way of saying we pray in Jesus' name is that we pray in the authority of Jesus. It means because Jesus has made us children of God, when we pray in accordance with the things Jesus already does and in alignment with God's will and God's nature, we pray with his authority. And if we go to verse two, Jesus in Luke, in Luke 11, Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come. In Matthew 6, uh, where Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, it's a separate occasion, and maybe that's the version that you know better. He adds, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Seriously, this is revolution talk. When we pray, we're asking that God would have his way in the world, his way of deliverance and justice, his way of freedom and grace. We're asking that his kingdom would come and that means that he would be seated as king on the throne of this world. Do you see, it gets lost on us, but do you see how radical that is? When Jesus originally taught this to his disciples, they saw this as a direct, direct challenge to Rome. They saw this as a direct challenge to their own Jewish community and Jewish leaders. And we all need to see it as a direct challenge to any kind of idolatry in our own hearts. Jesus is teaching us to say, not my kingdom, not the White House, not any cultural trend come, but your kingdom come. And that's such good news. If we're believers, that is such good news for us because we're citizens of that kingdom. We are co-heirs and co-rulers with Jesus. So if you want to learn to pray, Pray from your inheritance and your reign as children of God and pray from the kingdom because that is your home and that's the authority you operate from. Jesus teaches us to use that power and authority to pray revolution, that he would establish God's actual kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And I think here, I just wanna challenge you, not in a guilty way, but I hope in, in a prophetic way, your prayers matter. Your prayers to the Father in Jesus' authority, empowered by the Spirit, they change lives. They change your school and your work. They change the city and they can change the world. Your prayers matter. All right. Prayer is intimate. Prayer is humble. Lastly, prayer is bold yet humble. Luke 11, verse three. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. So far, the Lord's Prayer has been about God, which is what we would expect, like recognizing who he is, adoring him, seeking his rule and reign in the world. But now Jesus teaches us to kind of switch gears. We can ask God for things. God actually wants us to do this. We can ask for provision Give us bread, God. Give us what we need for today. 
and we're asking things of the God of the universe because he's our good father. It all goes back to that first word. Right after the Lord's prayer in Luke 11, Jesus is still talking about prayer and he says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. That is an incredible, incredible verse. It's our privilege as, as children of God. And I think that asking God for things is what most of us are best at. Like this is what we typically do in our prayers. So I won't actually spend too much time on it, but I want us to see one thing. In the example Jesus gives, give us our daily bread. As bold as it is, it's also so humble. Like prayer is not entitled. Prayer is not selfish. We're not asking for wealth or power, just what we need for today. And I'm not, I'm not gonna say that it's bad for you to ask for extravagant gifts from God because he does love you and he does love to give you blessing. But the model that Jesus provides and the model of Jesus' whole life is way simpler than that. In the same way that we have power and authority in the standing of Jesus, we're also totally dependent on God himself to do the heavy lifting. We can water, we can plant, but the Lord makes it grow. Verse four is even more radical. Forgive us our sins. Not just give us what we need, but forgive us for the ways that we have offended and separated ourselves from you, God. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Imagine going to your bank and saying, like, hey, you can just cancel my mortgage, right? Imagine going to a judge and saying, I'm guilty, but you can let me off this time, right? It would be crazy to do that. I would be mad at somebody if they did that. It would be foolish. But the gospel makes us fools for Christ. We can ask God to forgive us our sins. And if you're a believer, like, you know that he already has. And that's the level of boldness that Jesus teaches us to pray with. And yet it is tempered with the humility of our obedience to forgive others. Jesus, help us to do that. To pray boldly, pray humbly, and then expect God to move. Okay, um, bringing it in now. I, th- I think that the way Jesus ends the Lord's prayer brings together the intimacy and the power and the humble boldness of prayer. The end of verse four, it says simply, and lead us not into temptation. In Matthew's version, it's, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It seems like maybe a strange note to end on. Why does Jesus end this way? It's because Jesus knows and we need to know that we have an enemy. There's a real adversary that wants to prevent everything that came before in the prayer, an enemy that wants to prevent intimacy between you and your father, an enemy that doesn't want you to move in power and authority or wants you to abuse it an enemy that does not want you to practice that bold, humble prayer. The devil wants you to be ashamed or apathetic or angry when you think about prayer. So Jesus finishes by teaching us to pray for protection from that. But it's more than that. I think he's teaching us to pray, to do battle with the devil, with the corruption of the world and the desires of the flesh. The previous line of the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins, that is an implicit acknowledgement that we have sinned. And the last line of the prayer, lead us not into temptation, is an implicit acknowledgement that we need God to always be turning us away from sin and toward our true identity in himself. 
lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. When I hear that, I think that another way of saying it is the inverse. Lead us into holiness, God. Deliver us into yourself. It's praying to resist temptation. Everything holding us down, holding us back. Praying for repentance. Praying for Jesus' own righteousness. That's what Jesus is teaching us here. And do not miss that we're not just praying this for ourselves. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. We pray this for our brothers and our sisters and even for those who don't know the Lord yet. And that's how I want to land us today. There are like 10,000 ways we could end a sermon on prayer. One of them, uh, you, could, you could join us, I think every second Sunday right here for the prayer and worship evening. Would love that. Or 9, 10, every Sunday before church, just like be with us. I've, I've often thought, why can't the prayer time before church just be like part of the meeting, part of our routine? Why can't there be as many people at that as... Uh, as at, as at the main meeting. That's not a guilting thing, but it's just an invitation. Like what an awesome time to learn and to practice prayer, just to go to the Father together. Just wanna plant that seed. Um, but I think the thing that we need to pray for, especially today, is the final part of this prayer. A few verses after Jesus teaches us how to pray, he says, and he's still talking about prayer again, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus is saying, look at the gifts you give. Look what you did at Christmas, cool. Now look what I will give you if you just ask me. He's telling us to pray for the Holy Spirit. If we already know God, it's to pray that we would be filled to overflow with the Spirit. And for those who don't know the Lord, it's just that they would be filled, just that they would receive the Spirit. And Jesus says, God will happily, joyfully give the Spirit to anybody who asks. Just think back to Testimony Sunday, Thanksgiving. It has really stuck with me. All those people who were prayed into the kingdom, people were praying for them for years or decades and then Jesus resurrected their hearts. And there are people in my life that I pray for. Some of them I've been praying for every single day for years. That they will come to know him. That they'll be born again. Praying that they'll open their hearts to the gospel. That Jesus came for them in their brokenness. And that he came to rescue them from sin and shame and the slavery of the world. It is the mission of God to seek and save the lost. Just like he chased us down and saved us. I'm sure that God can, can, can save people without our prayers. I know he can. But isn't it amazing then that he desires our prayers? He, Jesus, God has ordained that our prayers be a means of accomplishing his purposes. Let me say that again. God has ordained our prayers to be a means of him accomplishing his purposes. So with that, I just wanna, want us to bow our hearts. We're gonna go into a time of prayer. We wanna have the worship team? Yeah? Okay, maybe the worship team can come up. And I'm just gonna pray. Just wanna pray particularly for salvation for those who don't know the Lord yet as their Lord and Savior. And let this year be a year that all of us are just praying boldly for salvation. Let it be a year when 
we are the people that others years from now will tell testimonies like that person prayed for me. That person prayed for me for a long time. And just with every eye closed, we are gonna pray right now. So if you can close your eyes, if that person is you, if you want to know Jesus as Lord, if you wanna be led away from temptation, led away from the lies of the evil one, just between you and the Lord, I would invite you right now to raise your hand and I would love to pray for you. Father, Father, hallowed be your name. We praise you, God. Your kingdom come. Give us today what we need. Give us our daily bread. And forgive us, God, our sins because we have sinned. And then help us to forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us, God, toward yourself, not into temptation. Deliver us from the lies and the fears and accusations of the devil. I pray for the brothers and sisters here and I pray for myself that we would know that apart from you, we're dead in our sins, but in you, we can joyfully and gratefully receive your salvation, just the filling of your spirit. We trust in you as Lord. We pray for faith that you came for us, that you died for us, that you rose again because you love us and because you want us. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray.